started this morning, and uh, it is good to see everybody this morning and enjoying the warmth. And uh, it's supposed to be uh, warm again, I guess today they said. So we're uh, good to be inside the air conditioning. So yes, I saw that. I saw that on the yeah. So was it Seattle or somebody was like 108 or something? Yeah, like Port, Portland. Yeah. Yeah. And they said, the, the news guy said something like 40 to 50% of the homes have no AC. Yeah. And I'm like, man, could you imagine 108 if that's what it was with no AC? <laughs> I bet. Wow. Everybody moved into their cars, huh? <laughs> wow. Yeah, I can only, do they, do they, well, I guess it's just the way the jet stream's flowing right now, so. So you got one guy that says climate warming, and you got another guy that says we're coming into an ice age. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you know, so I, you know, you you know, science is kind of weird. That's that kind of science when they try to predict which way a hurricane goes, and you've got eight different models. It's like, okay, it's not exact, is it? But it is all right. We're we're sometimes you you think places like that. Not that you want ill on anyone. They deserve to feel our temperatures at least once or twice in their lifetime just as we get their cold and snow from time to time, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, Romans 8, let's get started this morning. Romans 8, we're going to, let's just start reading in uh, verse uh, 18, and uh, we'll try to work down through s- some of this information here this morning. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of of God. For the creature was was, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And uh, we've, uh, I want to just, we're going to kind of go back through some of this information here. It's critical to understand what Paul's doing with us and as he's laying in our identification truths. And as he begins to lay out that we're, we're, verse 18, we're in the present suffering of this present time. That's where we're fellowshipping with the Lord. We're joint heirs with Christ. We're heirs of God, verse 17. We're going to suffer with him. And, and, and again, that, that issue there of suffering with him. In, in Scripture, specifically in the dispensation of grace, there are different types of suffering. And here Paul is talking about we suffer because we have this connection with creation in that we are man and that God left us here. But then if you come over to Galatians 6, I don't know if we looked at this last time, but you can see this clearly in Galatians 6. Um, When you think about suffering, there's some of it that you don't have any control over. That's what he's talking about in Romans 8, and again here in Galatians 6. And then there's some suffering that you can voluntarily go into and be a part of. And that's going to be over in Philippians and in uh, 2 Timothy. Notice Galatians 6, verse 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. 
But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. That's that law of the harvest. This is something you can control. This is when you make decisions. All right? We're, Romans 8, we're connected to creation, so we're going to suffer. But we can suffer also when we make poor decisions. When we decide not to walk in who we are in Christ and go live in our flesh over here, then what are we going to reap? Corruption. That's what we're going to reap. The law of the harvest is a, is, a, is a law that everyone understands. You're going to reap what you sow. You're going to reap more than you sow. And you're going to reap later than you sowed. So if you sow corn, you're going to reap corn. You're not going to reap green beans. All right? And then you're going to reap more than what you put in the field. Now come over to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, a verse that we've looked at in, in the past, I know. Philippians 1, verse number 29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. That's a voluntary suffering. That's uh, 2 Timothy 3. Look over there, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12. This is a point, in, and by the way, you notice that Philipp, it's Philippians. The, the church at Philippi are mature believers. They're not... Galatian believers, they are mature believers. And he says, in your maturity, you know what you have? You have the privilege not only to believe on him and enjoy those benefits, but also to come over here now and enjoy the benefits of suffering for his sake, living for him. 2 Timothy 2, verse number 12, Paul says here, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And in the context, this is persecution from other brothers in Christ. The, the men here that he's talking about are, are other members of the body of Christ. But notice it's a will. Yea, although all that will live, it's a choice of your will to live godly in Christ Jesus. And those are, so when you come back to Romans 8, those are not what Paul's dealing with in Romans 8. Romans 8, he says, you have a connection to creation and its curse. And right now, we experience suffering. We understand why the decay, why disease, why the fall apart here. And again, that's why he starts in verse 18, for I reckon. Let's think this through. Let's, that, that wonderful accounting term, reckon, you know, let's figure this out. Let's not just say, woe is me. You know, the great question is, is why does bad thing happen to good people? Well, why does it? See, that's the question. Why? Because we are in a situation where creation about us is cursed. And it is going to fall apart. And when it falls apart, you and I, we are to reckon this. We're to think through this. And we're to have a proper perspective about it. Why do you get sick? Why do you grow old? And why do you die? Happy, 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 by the way. You know, woo -hoo. You know, Monday nights I talk to the young, the, the cousins and stuff, and they're all young, getting started, full of this, you know, go, go, go. And I'm like, just wait. You know, just wait. I'm learning that. Just wait. You know, I got up the other morning, and I had some stuff in the yard I had to get done. And uh, I didn't have to do it, but I wanted to get it done. Let's put it like that, you know. And uh, I got out there, and you get working, and, you know, about an hour or two later, I was done. I was worn out, you know. And I looked at Linda, and Linda's like, you need to come in and sit down and get, you know, and get in the cool. And I'm like, yeah, but I used to go. She goes, yeah, used to. You can't do that anymore, you know. It was only 95. Come on, you know. I, 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 we can do this. And it's like, no, you can't do this. So let's have the proper perspective. Verse 18, the suffering of the present time are not worthy to be compared. Worthy, worth. Remember that scale issue, the balance. There's the idea there. Again, we looked in 2 Corinthians 4 last time about that the affliction, the, it's for, the light affliction is for the moment. Look over there at 2 Corinthians 4, just so, so we see it. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And that's the issue. It's a light affliction. I know in the moment it isn't. The other, 
Man, the other day when I got, I got in, I was like, whoa. And it wiped me out for a good chunk of the rest of the day. That's what I told Linda, you know. I just, I'm done, honey. I can't go, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But see, the thing is, is it's just for the what? It's for the moment. Think about your perspective when you compare it to eternity, to glory. This is just a moment, a tick in time. Now, Paul's not discounting what you're going through. He's telling us how to have the perspective about it, the thinking about it. Because what is it going to do? It works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We have this viewpoint that no matter how much suffering you pile on, glory will always outweigh it. Suffering doesn't counterbalance glory and balance it out. Glory is always more than the suffering. So when we have that divine perspective and viewpoint on our, well, if we have that understanding about our future glory, go back to Romans 8, then when we begin to look at the issues that come up with us, does your, does your status in glory change? No. Does then who you are in Christ ever change? No. So no matter what suffering amount that comes on you, guess what never changes? Who you are in Christ and that future glory, that eternity. Now you have the opportunity right now in time to take that glory. You're in Romans 8, look at verse 37. Take that suffering, not the glory. We'll get to the take the glory in a minute. The suffering... Right now, verse 37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Nay, in all these things, these things, the things he's listing here, our infirmities, the light afflictions, the whole context starts in verse 18. What can I do now? I can have the proper perspective. I can look at my situation and I can say, you know what? I can apply these verses to that. And the Lord says, there you go that works for you a far more exceeding and eternal glory. It works for you. And that's the thing about this issue in suffering, what Paul's trying to get to us, to get into our thinking is, yes, this is who we are. Yes, you're dead to sin. Yes, you're dead to the law. Yes, you're dead to the flesh. Yes, you are who you are in Christ, and you have this new identity and this new DNA. And you know what? You have that forever. But now in the present moment, he didn't take you home to heaven. He left you here. And you need to understand how to have the proper thinking about it because tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, and experience what? Hope. And we've got this hope, verse 24. For we are saved by hope. We have this understanding of eternity. Look over with me at... Uh, Oh, 1 Timothy, I think it is. Let me find the verse. 1 Timothy 4. It's a tremendous thing when you think about why God left you here on planet Earth. Well, we have a job to do. We have a vocation wherewith we've been called. Ephesians 4, verse 1. We have an ambassadorship to handle, to carry out, and to do. But in doing that, Paul says, listen... You have a connection with creation that you need to have a handle on as you're going to go now and do what 2 Corinthians 5.15 says and live for him who loved you and died for you. 1 Timothy 4, look at verse 8. For bodily exercise profiteth little. By the way, in the context of bodily exercise is religious activity. That's what he's talking about being seduced by doctrines, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. What does the bodily exercise do in, in religion? It profiteth what? Little. It's interesting, it doesn't say no profit. It says little profit. So there's something in that that you have to think about. But godliness is profitable unto what? All things. What's profitable in my life? 
godliness, God-likeness, living as who I am in Christ, having the Spirit of God grip my life, fill my life with His love and with His grace and with His identity, having promise of the life that now is. Right now in time, what can I do? And by the way, this is what we're going to get into in Romans 8. I'm just kind of jumping ahead here a little bit in the notes. But what's, what, we have the promise of the life where? Now. We can live godliness now. And of that which is to what? To come. So what we're learning in Romans 8, he's introducing it. We get the details later. Ephesians Timothy and so forth, is we're learning that right now what I do in time, right now, impacts my eternity. It works for me a far more and exceeding and weight of glory. I get glory. That's my hope. I have a future in the heavenly places. Well, what I do right now impacts that. And I have to understand my un- by the way, I say that when your, your, your Christian life began the moment you trusted Calvary. That's where life really began for you. You were dead in trespasses and sins before that. Now you're made alive. But then when you come to understand the, you know, a lot of us have went into religion. But then you come to understand the word right divided, rightly divided, and then what happens? That's really when you, you go, see? So you got to put that marker in time. We had a lady here, go back to Romans 8. We had a lady that used to be with us, and she was with us for years, and she was out of the Baptist denomination, and she did a lot of work in her years living or on the Indian reservation south of us here, and north actually too. And she asked me one day, we were talking about these things, she said, did I waste my time working on the Indian reservations now that I've come to understand right division. And I told her, I said, I would say, no, you did not. And she says, well, how do you say that? I said, well, what gospel did you preach to those people? And she said, well, we believe that Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day, and faith in that and alone. And she said, we really never did baptism, water baptism stuff, because we never had the opportunity, and it was never a part of what we were trying to get them to understand anyway. And I said, then you didn't waste your time. You were getting some people saved. See, it's all perspective. How are you going to think about it? Romans 8, that's what Paul's getting at. we got to think about this. He's going to now make a logical argument regarding our connection and the status with and of creation here. And again, the question comes up is, why am I still a part of this? Why am I still here? Why do we suffer? Why do we suffer the, the curse, the effects of sin in the world? Well, we suffer that effect because God has left us here. <laughs> and there's a reason why. Think about this. When you come into Romans 8 in your identity, we've learned what? All of this wonderful identity truths that we have. Freed from sin, the dominion, sin doesn't have dominion over you anymore. The law, the legalist, the performance system is set free. And now we have this identity in Christ. And you know what he says? Because you have all that, God has given you no special immunity. You're to stay. You have an ambassadorship to do. And as long as, you, as we continue to live here on planet Earth, guess what we're going to do? We're going to suffer, and we're going to experience the devastating effect of sin. But I left you here, because i got a job for you to do. And our connection to creation by default is that we're going to suffer just like everyone else does. So when you think about suffering, again, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptations taken you but as common to man. Now we have a different viewpoint on it. Now we can say, you know what? God isn't trying to nail me. He isn't trying to chasten me. He isn't trying to correct me. By the way, how does God chasten you today? 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scriptures given by inspiration is profitable for what? Doctrine, 
Reproof and correction. There's the correcting. He's going to use his word. So now we're going to adjust our thinking. Verse 18, we have a different viewpoint here about problems, about distresses and discouragements. And honestly, it should never defeat you. It does from time to time, but it shouldn't because we have this ability to adjust our thinking. It doesn't outweigh the scale. It doesn't counterbalance the weight. Look at verse 23. And not only they, but who? Ourselves also. We don't have immunity. We're connected to the sin-cursed creation. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our... We do have a helper, though. We get down in here, probably, it's, it's a wonderful thing. We do have a helper. You know what our problem is? For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. <laughs> That's our problem. Our problem is, is that we're not always thinking properly. We're not always paying attention. And in light of what we're learning here in Romans 8... Well, we need to have that proper thinking. We, verse 23, we groan within ourselves, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even where ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. And that's the issue. The issue isn't that why didn't God give me an easy life? Why didn't God do the, no, the issue is, is, hey, we understand that we have a future and we're to wait for it. By the way, verse 25, the end of that verse, then do we with patience wait for it. Boy, is that a hard thing to do. Paul says, what I want you to do in Romans 8 is I want you to be a more than conqueror here. I want you to get to the point where you can handle the situations of life and take the sound doctrine and apply it to that, those situations. The situations, the circumstances of life never change who you are. You change how you view those circumstances. So what does he say, verse 19? For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, what he's going to do is he say, look, I want you to be a more than conqueror. I want you to have the proper viewpoint. And here's the proper viewpoint. What's creation doing? What are they doing right now? They're waiting for something too, aren't they? They're waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. They're not waiting for the manifestation as the sons of God. But of the so then the thing is as well, who's the sons of God? Well, what does verse 14 just say to you? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Who's the sons of God in the passage, in the context? We are the church, the body of Christ. So if you're in Christ, then what are you? A son of God. Now, Israel is in the same boat. Come back to John 1. You know, we, people like to argue this issue about Israel being in Christ. And, oh, see, they got to be a part of the body. No, they don't. That's just stupidity. Folks, you're either in two places. In Adam, John 1. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And in Adam, all what? Die. And in Christ, all live. That's the only two places you can be. Look at John 1, verse 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the what? The sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of men, but of God. There's the issue of born again. But who's he talking to? He came unto his own. Who's that? Israel. And what are they called? If they believe in him, he gave them the power to become the sons of God. They're not there yet. Where do they get their sons of God status? The earthly kingdom is established. 
So here you got, you've got this issue of what is creation waiting for? Israel, all those in Christ, in Israel, to be manifested. And then all those in the church, the body of Christ, to be manifested. Right now we're not there. We're still where? Right here in the nasty now and now, present suffering. You see, when Paul over there in Ro- at the end of Romans says, and these are the brothers that were in Christ before me, that's always the verse that, I, it, people just get plain stupid about that. Ignorant, I should say, to be nice. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. That's the only two places you can be. By the way, he does that in Genesis 3 with Eve. That's where Satan attacks. You're in Christ, Eve. You're perfect, but you really need to be over here. And he moved Eve. Eve moved. You're in those two camps. Because what's he... When we get into our... We're going to have a study here after we get back from Montana uh, on creation and what God was creating in creation. And you know what he likes in creation? Sons, adults. Over there in Job when he says that the morning stars and the sons of God sang and rejoiced at creation. Those are adults. Not angelic host. Not children. Come back to Romans 8. What's creation waiting for? Actually, come over to Ephesians 1. They're waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, the manifestation of the sons of God. Israel and her program, the prophetic scriptures. Us in our program in the mystery scriptures program. When we're raptured out and we're seated in the heavenly places in that governmental realm up there, and Israel is sitting and the king here, David's the king on the throne, the 12 uh, apostles are on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and those 12 are going out into the Gentile world doing Matthew 28. When they're doing that, we're sitting in there, all you that dwell in the heavens rejoice, and we're in our position, governmental story, they're in their governmental authority. It's fantastic when you understand creation was created Government is the issue. Who's running the show? That's the question. God says, I got a plan for the earth. Are you in Ephesians? We're getting out of Romans, and I'm sorry, but look at verse 4. Romans, uh, Ephesians 1, 4. According as he hath chosen us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation. Think of, we're going to talk about this next week. That's why it's on my mind. <laughs> Because it's 4th of July next Sunday. God of the Bible loves freedom. But freedom requires taking a risk. So he says, I'm going to let my creation have freedom to choose. And I'm going to risk that they're going to make a bad choice. Freedom requires a choice between two. Good and evil. That's your choice. Death and life. That's your choice. And he says, I'm going to let creation, my creation, choose that. But you know what? I got a restoration plan before he was the lamb slain, before the foundation, before the world, before creation, Christ had already been slain in the mind of the Godhead. So guess what he does? He gives freedom. You guys following? I'm kind of bouncing here. And he says, you know what? Creation is way, Ephesians 1 verse 10, verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, which are both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. And in the context, you keep reading the all things, there is government, principalities, powers, mights, thrones, dominions, every other name that's named, rulers of the darkness, the rulers issue. And that governmental structure there, Israel gets in, By the way, the true Israel of God, Galatians 6, and the church, the body of Christ. Now, let's get back in Romans 8. I'd like to get that. But what's creation waiting for that day? What are we waiting for that day? We We groan within ourselves, what? Waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. What are we waiting for? We're not there yet. We got the hope. We know it's coming. But we're waiting for 
creation, our connection with creation here is this issue that he's dealing with, but he's also dealing with our connection with the Lord Jesus Christ and reigning and ruling over the creation. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about the governmental structure in the heavenly places and here on planet Earth. It's fascinating when you study the Gospels in Matthew. He says, fear not, little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Then he looks at the Pharisees and says, I'm taking it from you and I'm giving it to a nation. The true, the little flock, the believing remnant. And the Pharisees go, you know what, I think he's talking about us. And you know what they were always worried about losing? Their their power, their authority. And he goes, you lost it, but a long time ago. (laughs) Verse 19, creation is waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God for the creature. You see, we have a connection with Christ through that joint airship. And we are going to participate in the administration of government in the universe. Ephesians 1 there, verse 18, we'll we'll get it next hour. He talks about his inheritance in the saints. You're his inheritance. You're valuable to him because he's going to use you. Philippians 3 over there, he talks about us. He's going to change our vile body and fashion it like unto his glorious body, and he's going to subdue all things according to his purpose. He's got a plan to restore the government, the rightful rule in the universe. In Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. He's talking about he created that government. Who's going to run the universe? That's what he's talking about. Satan says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be like the Most High. That's what's coming here, by the way. Verse 21, on verse 20, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Verse 21, that's the verse I wanted, sorry. Because the creature itself also shall be, what? Delivered from the bondage of corruption. Verse 19, they're waiting for what? The manifestation of the sons of God. Because when that event happens then what is the creation going to be released from? The bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Creation knows something. Creation knows a payday's coming. Meanwhile, what is creation going to do? It's going to decay. It's going to get sick. It's going to suffer. And guess what? Our connection to creation, we are going to suffer, die, decay, and our connection with the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be one of we're going to be manifested as sons and then rule over that creation. Come over with me to Colossians chapter 1. Now, in in Romans 8, let let me just say this. In Romans 8, Paul isn't giving you all this detail. He's just laying in the info. Notice where we've been looking, Ephesians, Colossians, we've been... Back over here in the advanced doctrine, but, but that advanced doctrine is based upon you understanding, Romans 8, that you're connected to creation, so you're going to suffer, and then you're connected through the Lord Jesus Christ, that joint heirship, that you're going to reign and rule over him, and that's the hope of glory. Colossians 1, verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross... Never forget that the restoration program of God the Father, the Father called it the Father of glory, Ephesians 1 calls him. Father's the one, the Father's the one that originated it. Glory is the name of the plan. Centers everything on the blood of his cross. Never on your activity, never on what you try to do or think you ought to be doing or living or any of that, but based on what he did. Now watch, by him, to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I said whether there be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, isn't that interesting? We're included in that. We're participant in that. Come back to Romans 8. So that's what Paul's getting at here. He's like, look guys, we suffer, 
because we're connected to this sin curse. Verse 20, for the creature was not made subject to vanity. Vanity. Man in his best state is all but vanity, Solomon says. Vanity, emptiness, nothing there. Romans 1, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I love that, professors, professing. They're what? They're fools. By the way, some preachers are fools. They profess, not wise. Made subject to vanity, the curse. There's the issue of Genesis 3 when Adam, when God curses Adam and he also cursed the ground, it says. And thistles and thorns were, were created. They weren't there before that. They're there. At, why? Because now we change. Somebody asked me one time about the mosquito. Where did that thing come from? It came where? After the curse. Okay? That's where it came from. Why? Because what did he just do? He subjected it to a curse, sin. Then he says, verse 20, not willingly. You know what creation didn't get to do? They didn't get a vote in it. You know the TV show, will Vote You Off the Island? They didn't get a vote in it. They didn't get a say. Guess what? We don't get a vote in it either. We don't get a say. I knew, I knew a guy one time. He ate right. He exercised. He didn't smoke, he didn't drink, he did everything right physically. And you know what happened in the end? He died. So why do that? Why not just eat the way you want and get, you know, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm down 25 pounds this morning, and I'm like, hey, I kind of like this. It feels a little better. But see, the thing is, is we get a vote in that, we, but we don't get a vote in what? Dying, decaying, disease. You think about disease. There was a 15-year-old young lady in Chicago there a couple years ago. She came down with uh, bone cancer, 15. She lived a couple more years, and then she finally died. People go, wow, what kind of God would give a 15-year-old bone cancer? He didn't give it to her. The curse did. But... Don't forget the buts. But by what? Reason. There's a, there's a reason. What was God's reasoning in the curse of decay and death upon creation? Why did he do this? See, that's the question. What was going on? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, Right? But what's verse 2 say? And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And you know what you do? You go in and, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and you begin to think about that darkness. And John 1 says it's, there was darkness that comprehended it not. He's not talking about there was no light and turned the lights out. He's talking about a spiritual darkness. And in between 1-1 and 1-2, you have Isaiah 14 and the fall of Lucifer. And in the fall of Lucifer, what did he say? I will be like the Most High. And you take the Most High title and you run that out in the definition in Genesis 17. And the Most High is equated to the title of God as possessor of heaven and earth. What did Lucifer want to do? He wanted to possess creation. So you know what God said? Nope. I'm going to curse it. Satan says, I'm going to use creation to facilitate my purpose and my plan. Isaiah 14, he says, you, the traffic of your merchandise, of that lie. Romans 1, 25, serve the creature more than the creator. Uh-uh, ain't going to happen. You know what God says? I'm going to curse it. And because of that, you know what's going to happen? It's all going to decay and die. That's what's going to happen. So the reason, by reason... God says, I'm going to curse it so Satan can't use it. So you know what Satan says? That's okay. You, you created that two-legged thing over there called Adam, called man, and God says, that's okay. I'm going to kill him too. He's part of the curse. God, in his wisdom, knowing that there's an adversary, an enemy in play, 
says none of this is going to be usable. That's why after the great white throne judgment, you have a what? The end of the book of the Revelation, you have a new heaven and a new earth. Now it's going to be usable. And that's what creation is waiting for. Come over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Watch Paul develop this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because there's an interesting thing here in all of this. 2 Corinthians 4, look at verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Notice that line, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Why does Paul drag us back to Genesis 1 verse 3? Go back to Genesis 1. Why does he drag us back to creation? By the way, Paul always does that. It's fascinating to me when you study the Apostle Paul and his life and his ministry. Starts in Acts 9 and runs. He never takes us back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Never. He doesn't take any of his audience ever back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know where he takes us back to? Adam. Genesis 1. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and what? Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. See, God created, darkness comes in, the adversary shows up, we got a problem, so what does God say, verse 3? Let there be light. Let there be a redeemer. Let there be a deliverer. Let there be light. So when Paul, back here in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, says, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, he's using language of redemption. What's God doing in Genesis 1? He's redeeming creation. He says, let there be what? light. Let's turn the light. By the way, the light is where? The Word of God and God said. Let's turn the lights on. Let the Word go in there. Let the, let's redeem this. And in Genesis 1, God is installing a, re, a plan to restore creation, to reclaim. He's going to use man to do it. But he knows that if he gives man a choice, what's man possibly going to do? Make the wrong choice. So you know what? Where's the right choice going to be? And only one man, the true man, the last Adam, Christ, God himself has got to do what? Come, take on flesh, the seed of Abraham, and get on with it. And God knows that. And Paul says, go back there to 2 Corinthians 4. And you know what Paul says? You and I are just that. That's why he says, verse 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. That language of redemption. By the way, Paul calls you and I in Ephesians 5 the children of light. And light in the Lord. Come over to Colossians 1. Colossians 1. And on the way, I guess you can stop there in Ephesians. Well, you, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. And verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness... But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So darkness isn't, you know, all the lights went out in the room and can't find. Darkness is a spiritual condition. Colossians chapter 1, notice this, verse 12. Are you guys following what Paul's doing here? I'm trying to... Pull some of this out for you, I hope. Because this is who you are. 
And because you're this, then when the details of life, the circumstance of life come up, you know what you can say? You can say, okay, we can deal with that because, man, look at what's coming. And what's coming far outweighs that mess. And, oh, by the way, how do we get there? <laughs> Let's figure that out. Well, or maybe you didn't get there on your own. Maybe it happened to you, things out of your control. Okay, that's fine. Then guess what we got to do? Got to go through it. Guess what? My truck's in the shop again. Broke down again. Why? You know, I didn't do it. The poor mechanic guy, he's pulling his hair out. He's, been on, he's, he's ready to ship the goofy truck back to Michigan and blow it up. I mean, he's just, he's at his wits end. He's trying to figure it out. Personally, I think I told him how to fix it. I think it needs a new wiring harness in that section. Duh. But I can't say, I said it to the service guy, but he can't really say that because that's money. And we have to let the mechanics say we got to do that. So anyway, but see, the thing is, is I didn't do anything to my truck, but it's still what? It's still a pain to deal with. See? Colossians 1, verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. Where? In like meet. Qualified. The help meet idea. The, we're qualified. Why are we qualified? Because we're where? In Christ. And we're qualified for the inheritance of the saints to partake in that. Verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. There's the satanic policy of evil. And hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. By the way, the kingdom. You hear that word. Paul uses it. The heavenly kingdom. The kingdom that denotes government and structure. When, God, when Christ to the twelve over there talks about, we're going to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. That denotes what? Structure. You know, Israel never had a problem with the kingdom. They understood what it was. They had 80 years of what it would be like with David and Solomon. They understood it. That's why the apostles ask him in Acts 1, are you going to restore again the kingdom to us? And he's like, well, it's not time yet. We've got to get there. Notice he has made us meet to be partakers of the saints, of the inheritance of the saints where? in light. So when you come back to Romans 8 here in verse 21 because the creature itself also shall be delivered let there be light shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We have a there's a hope for creation. There's a hope for us as well. And not only they, but ourselves also. Boy, remember that. Which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown where? Within ourselves. This verse is a wonderful verse. Waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. You and I, you know, we are the beloved ones. We're the loved ones. We're the cherished ones. We are valuable. We're the beloved of God. He's, getting, he's given us the first fruits of the Spirit here. We, we're going to groan. Why? He left us in creation, but why did he curse creation? So it was not usable by the adversary. One day it will be usable again by God, and that is in the manifestation of the sons of God are revealed. And all of that is up there. And down here, the plan's right on time. It's right where it's supposed to be. And he says, until then, you're going to groan within yourselves. By the way, that's not vocal. Within yourself, what is that? That's an internal thing, isn't it? I know the old joke is, don't ask anybody how they're doing. You get an organ recital. Okay? But this is a groaning within ourselves. This isn't saying, oh, I had a bad week, I hurt my back, I did this, I've tripped, I felt, whatever. We, are, we know that already, by the way. This is, a, this is where it should be. It's an internal check of, hey, I hurt today. Why? Because of Romans 8 doctrine. Why isn't this working? Because of Romans 8 doctrine. And it's an internalization check. 
It's a, hey, what's really going on inside of me? It's this understanding of the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, when he says first fruits of the Spirit, notice he doesn't say the first fruits of Christ. Christ is the first fruit, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of what? Resurrection. By the way, he's the first raised among many brethren. There's more going to come after him, but he's the first one. Paul says he's the only one right now that hath immortality. That ought to tell you something about the Father and the Spirit. God the Father and God the Holy Spirit do not have bodies like you and I have. Jesus Christ is the Godhead bodily. So guess what he took on? He took on our frailty, and so he had to do what? Die. God the Father says, I'll raise you up, and when I raise you up, you will be the first to have immortality. But when Paul talks here, he says, we got the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, let's think about that for a minute. The first fruits of the Spirit. What's verse 15 say? For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit, see that capital S, of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. What can we do right now? We can cry, Abba, Father. We can act like a son. We can act like an adult. We studied that when we looked at Abba, Father, and I I took you back to Christ is the only one to say that. He says it in the garden. He has that prayer of of petition, of remove the cup, that moves instantly into the prayer of submission of not my will, but thy will be done. And then he cries, Abba, Father, and the thinking of an adult, of the son, isn't, hey, by the way, he made his petitions known, didn't he? Philippians 4 says we can do the same thing. But he knew what the answer was way before the father ever reminded him. And guess what? We know what the answer is. And he hath said unto me. Five words. And he said unto me. I get that unto too many. Right? We know what the... Hey, come over here. That's it. We right now can cry what? Abba, Father. So guess what we can do in verse 23? In the moment of the sufferings, you know what we can do? We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We can act like adults right now. We're not having to wait for glory, to act like an adult. We can do it right now. When he said, verse 23, and we ourselves grown within, uh, I'm sorry, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. That has to do with the fact that we enjoy the same Spirit that guarantees our future glory, our new body, our eternal reality in the heavenly places. It's the same Spirit that empowers us and enables us to respond to and to react to the present suffering correctly, properly. Because we have the knowledge of our future reality and that glory and suffering are never going to equal out. Glory is always going to outweigh it. You see, folks, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. By the way, we already possess the Holy Spirit. That's the moment of our justification. But He enables us to respond right now as, as sons, as adults, that are going to be one day manifested, glorified. But we can do it right now. We can live right now... We can function right now as sons, as adults. We don't have to wait. We can do it right now. We don't have to wait for that future manifestation to act like a son, to think like a son, to respond like an adult, to react like a son. We can do it right now. We have that capacity. And that's what Paul's wanting you to get to. He's wanting you to understand, listen, who you are in Christ is to be enjoyed right now. Come over with me to uh, second, uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. 
um, 13. Well, that's okay. Go back to Romans 8, for time's sake. Sorry. Well, just for time, it's, we got only a few more minutes here. Okay? Psych is right. Yeah, exactly. You see, because in verse 24, we'll pick up here. We are saved by hope. But hope that is, is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. What Paul's going to do, and look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit. In 26, he's going to change gears. He ain't li- he's not done talking about our infirmities. He says, here's how you're to think. You're to act like an, a son. You're to act like an adult. Grow up. Okay? Understand why you're, so- why are you- why are you groaning and travailing. Because I'm connected to creation. But I got a hope of a future glory. Verse 18. The glory which shall be revealed in us. Those don't weigh, count, glory, I mean, suffering never counterbalances glory. It's always more glory. Exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Let's have the proper perspective. Because we have a hope coming. And what he's going to do is he's going to end the one section with, about hope. And then he's going to use that hope to launch into the next section in eight. And there's a hinge pin here. There's a hinge here. And he says, you act like an adult because you got a hope. And we walk by faith and not by sight because the things that are seen are what? Temporal. And the things that are not seen are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4.18. And where you and I have to walk is we have to walk by faith in the word of God to you and I today. That, hey, that future glory out there is the real deal. That's real. This is real. It hurts. But that's realer. (laughs) Okay? And then we can go live like as if we're already there. Look at Ephesians 2. I won't do a psych. We'll look at this here in a minute. Ephesians 2. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 6. And hath raised us up together. Is that present, future, or past tense? Raised. Past. Okay. And hath made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Made us. That's what? Present and future as well. It's both. But it's also past. Because in the eyes of God, where are we? We're already there. Our, re- our reality isn't so, is it? We're right here. Come to Romans 4. Always remember this, folks. Uh, this verse in Romans 4, just light bulbs went off, angels sang, fireworks went off when I saw this. I'm like, yeah, right on. Look at Romans 4. Now I've got to find a verse. It did. Verse 17, the end of that verse, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as, what? Though they were. They're not in my mind. In my mind, I got a truck in the shop I can't get fixed. But you know what? In God's mind, I'm already seated together in heavenly places in Christ. I'm already there. So whose mind should I have? Now, i got to deal with the truck in the shop. That's life. But my thinking about dealing with that is what? I'm already in heavenly places in the ages to come. See that? Always never forget that. That end of verse 17, boy, that just was like, there's the answer. Because what happens? We get drugged down in the moment, and you know where we forget? That out there. We have to deal with it. It's called life. You don't shirk your responsibilities. I got that. But man, well, how does he view you? 
And I think I'm going to live in how he views me rather than how I view myself. Because the last hour in my mind's been a complete failure. Just my mind, how I think about it. How does he think about it? No, it's been this. Okay? All right, we'll pick up in verse 24 next time, all right? Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that we get in it and have in it and the rejoicing that we can have in it as it begins to work in the details of our lives. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we'll see you back here at 11. And I'll probably...